Welcome to the Patient Flow Podcast, powered by teletracking. On today's episode of the Patient Flow Podcast, we continue our conversation with Rusty Rooms, Clinical Specialist Emergency and Access Services at OUMC, and Larissa Thornley, Nurse Manager at UC Health. Let's listen in. Developing standardized processes. Could you talk about the power behind that and how that really helps assure quality patient experience? Well, for us as an academic medical facility, um, we have over 40 different service lines. Um, So everybody wants their own way of things to happen. And we have algorithms that, you know, if they serve or in the cafeteria, then this is the way we want the transfer handled. So um, we initially created this standard operating procedures to where really all the calls are handled the same way, but then gave the ability for those service lines to customize special either information that they needed to come from the transfer or, or special things done with those patients between the time that they leave one facility and come to another facility. So yes, although we standardize the process, but we also standardize it by service line. So this call is going to happen the same way every time for a patient that has a stroke or has a STEMI or maybe coming to GI or face or hand or whatever other the subspecialty is, but they're all still handled in the standardized way within the service line, but then also a custom way within that service line but then also standardize as a group of the way the call comes in and the way the call is handled. Um, so it's important for those to be written and updated and having a, an interdisciplinary group discuss how those are going to be created so that way the expectation is set with the service line leadership as well as the patient logistics center staff can also be very aware of what it is that they need to do with each call and have a guideline to go by. And I would echo almost exactly what Rusty's saying. We do this very similar thing. Every service line wants to do things very differently, and we have that across the system. So how is STEMI's handled at one hospital is very different than how they're handled at the other two. Everyone has great door-to-needle times, but they all want it done a specific way. So we've had to create, like Rusty said, an interactive pathways for the staffs. I mean, as smart as they all are, they can't remember all of these different workflows. So there's It's a basic Excel spreadsheet that's interactive, so they click on it, it takes them right to where they need to go so that they know how to handle a STEMI in the north versus a STEMI at at University Hospital versus a STEMI at one of our south hospitals. Keeping that consistent process for the service line is the key. They keep their times, and we can have our own process so that we can make sure we do it correctly every time. Louis, I know at UC Health you have an acceptance algorithm and interactive pathways. Could you explain that? Yep, so the interactive pathways I just briefly touched on, the acceptance algorithms, it's for the physicians to just be able to say yes and not worry about do we have beds, what's their insurance. We don't want them to worry about any of that. Just say yes and we'll take care of the rest. So it's basically, can you medically care for this patient? Yes, great, thank you doctor, we'll take care of it from here. And then we, you know, if it's emergent, obviously they come, we don't get into any other questions. Non-emergent, they're one of our own patients. If they are um, requiring a center of excellence for something that we have, we would bring specialty service, burn, cardiac, that sort of thing, you always bring them. And then if we really cannot find any other reason to bring them, and believe me, we look for every reason. <laughs> um, it may be a question of, are they already in a bed? Are, the, you know, are there some significant issues that may require help on the back end on discharge, that sort of thing? Then we might bring in our UM nurse to help triage it out. We rarely say no. I think it's transplant's probably the only one if there's not benefits available. She can't bankrupt an entire system or plan, but 
otherwise we really we try to bring everybody in I think we have on average declines of two in the system a month which is pretty low we just want the doctors to say yes and take them out of the contentious arguments that can come afterwards if if they want to talk about beds or insurance and like Rusty was saying earlier we always have a bed we just need to know more information what type of bed um, and we'll get you one so Right. I mean, I think that's one of the keys in, in build, when we built the transfer center is all of those culture things that you talked about that we have to overcome that, you know, we're only we're getting dumped on yes. as far as the physicians worrying about getting dumped on and us turning the conversation around to what, you know what, you don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. You worry about whether you can clinically care for this patient and then on a weekly, monthly basis, let us worry about mm-hmm. whether there's a specific hospital that's dumping on us and only sending us non-insured mm-hmm. patients or is it truthfully not that. And most times it proves out the other direction that, yeah, we're getting a little bit from one or, you know, we're, we're taking a good mix. But then if there's that conversation needs to be had with any facility that's only sending us their non-paying patients, we now have the data um, to be able to go back to that facility and say, hey, I notice you're only sending us unfunded patients. What do we need to do better to get your funded patients as well? So um, so I think it's key to be able to auto-accept patients to take that away from um, the conversation um, and make it to where, hey, can you just mm-hmm. take care of this patient? If you, if, you can't, if you don't have the capacity or the capability to take care of this patient, let us know that, and then we can look for other avenues. But that's the question. And to your point, the data review is so important with the physicians who, as Rusty was saying, continually these health systems or this hospital dumps on us, and if you can show them that weekly or monthly, however they want to see it, that will gain your buy-in from mm-hmm. the physicians. And that's definitely what we've had to do. Monthly data reviews, the same data, the same hospitals in question, every time and we can show them actually they're sending us a better pair mix than x y or z right when we were talking about staffing why do you think rns are the best solution to have staff a transfer center i know that that's all that's been a long time debate and we had actually started with some clerical staff or primarily clerical staff or really emt related staff in ours, but then came um, to the conclusion that, yeah, even though a lot of the duties that those transfer center nurses do may be clerical in nature, you can't give up the experience that they've had at the bedside when they're listening to that physician conversation and then listening to the nurse-to-nurse report. So that way they know, number one, from the physician conversation, what kind of level of care that the patient needs. And then when they listen to the nurse-to-nurse communication, they say, wait a minute, this patient does not look like what this physician appeared told our physician about. So they can handle either those level of care issues or call back the doc and say, hey, this patient's much sicker than we thought, or hey, doc, I really don't think this is going to take ICU. It may have been an ICU at that facility, but it's not necessarily going to need ICU care at this facility. And I think it takes that experience of the nurse to be able to to cognitively think through those oh, things. Sure, sure. And so ours are supported, I think, like you mentioned, yours are by some clerical staff that help with page outs and help with registration and help with making some phone calls to um, EMS or transport or those kind of things. But it takes that the knowledge of the of the experienced RN, I think, too. That's a, that's a key that can't just, you know, nursing school doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. just do it for you. That It takes that experience of being able to know sick and well patients enough to where and taking enough reports um, so you know what what language a nurse may use that's really cueing you in to the fact that this patient may be either sicker or well or more well mm-hmm. than you first heard. And I would again agree with Rusty and even taking a step further back on the initial call from the referring physician, some of our algorithms call for what service to 
to page by diagnosis and if they don't say exactly what's scripted a non-clinical person may call the wrong service and so I will say that probably 95% of our complaints of we receive all these calls in the middle of the night for the wrong service are due to a non-clinical person taking that initial call so one of the things we've done is all the all the calls go to the nurses first based on their login so that they can triage out what calls they need to handle and what they don't. Thank you for listening to the Patient Flow Podcast powered by Teletracking. We take pride in bringing you insightful conversations with the leading experts in patient flow, as well as tips on industry best practices to help ensure patients get the right care in the right place at the right time.